Hey, what's up? It's episode 117, Pain Points of Wealth, and we got a very special edition today. Uh, we have one of our favorite Wall Street strategists on our show, Edyard Denny, uh, who has a research firm that we follow very, very closely. Ed's going to be on the show today, and we're going to talk about the economy. We're going to talk about the markets, and we're going to talk about Ed's viewpoint. When we share very closely on a lot of issues, probably one of the other few optimists out there, I would say, uh, on Wall Street, there's not many of them. Uh, but Ed, you're one of the best, and you're kind of like our, our invisible wingman. Uh, you know, we, we, I steal your uh, your stats all the time for TV, so thank you. I should probably give you some royalties. Um, but having said that, great to have you on the show, and uh, we're, we're honored to to just chat with you about the economy. And you know, you, uh, pretty much versus everybody else, has been pretty optimistic the whole way through here, uh, as every strategist on Wall Street seems to call for a recession, but you have not. Well, I've been in the soft landing camp. What I've really been in is uh, in the rolling recession camp. Uh, I've actually been arguing that we've been in a recession since the beginning of last year. Been having one, if you're in the housing industry, single family housing has been in a terrible recession. Retailers got stuck with a lot of uh, inventory at the end of last year, and they had to discounted because consumers pivoted away from buying goods to buying services. Now I think we can uh, anticipate that there will be a recession in the commercial real estate uh, market. Uh, but uh, all in all, it just hasn't added up to an economy-wide recession. And why that's important is because that's relevant to earnings and earnings are relevant to the stock market. And as we've seen, the the, the market uh, always seems to be able to find something to, uh, to uh, invest in, and it always seems to be a contrary uh, by the market. So we've had a, a real nice uh, rebound here in what I call the mega cap eight. Uh, those stocks have done very well, but it hasn't just been those stocks. Uh, we've seen a fairly, uh, there've been lots of other areas where the markets uh, done reasonably well. Yeah, we saw a nice rebound and uh, international has been now performing so far this year. And uh, I, think, I don't think a lot of people recognize that the a lot of the European bourses are near their all time highs. So I- yeah. You know, people seem surprised at that. But, you know, and I, I got a chuckle the other day out of the, the comment you made that, you know, people accuse you of being a permable. And you took that as a, the highest uh, form of flattery. And I, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, look, uh, I think if you look at a chart of the uh, S&P 500 or the Dow and go all the way back, you know, to the, the beginning of the 1920s, just so we make sure we, we, we captured the Great Depression, um, the reality is the uh, the market goes up on average uh, most of the time. I, I think what happens uh, to investors is they, they, they do get fixated on the historical negatives. And certainly the, the Great Depression and the Great Crash is, uh, you know, we didn't live it, but uh, it seems to be something that we're all kind of fearful of. Uh, but again, we did just have uh, not too long ago the great uh, financial crisis. And the market uh, took took a dive back then, and it's and it stayed down for quite a while. But it did recover, and uh, we've seen that uh, the problem with trying to get out at the top is you got to make sure that you get in at the bottom. <laughs> Otherwise, you're probably going to wind up getting back in where you had been many years later, and I think well, missed missed on the compounding of dividends. Well, you know, Ed, we're we're wealth managers. We you know we we do financial planning. We manage a lot of money for high net worth individuals, and and. You know, what I found, if you do time this thing correctly, um, it's impossible to be successful because if you got out at 14,000, you know, back in 08, trying to get people back in when the, when the market's on sale is near impossible. Yeah. Because you know, the fear level is so high. 
um, when the opportunity is the greatest. So I, I agree with that. You know, you made a comment about commercial real estate. I'm getting a lot of concerns from clients that uh, this is going to be the next, uh, you know, big event that's going to take down the economy because, you know, banks are, uh, are going to be taking back all this commercial real estate and multifamily housing that's been built lately. Well, I think it's important to recognize that uh, the Fed and the FDIC responded very, very quickly uh, to the to the banking crisis. Uh, SVB, the Silicon Valley Bank, basically imploded on March 10th. It was a Friday. And then on March 12th, uh, late in the day, it was a Sunday, uh, both uh, regulators uh, came in and did what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be the, the lenders of last resort and the restructuring regulators of, of last resort. And that's exactly what they did very, very quickly. And the Fed came in with a, uh, a new facility, liquidity facility. They're, they're very good at coming up with these things. They've had a lot, <laughs> a lot of experience uh, at uh, you know, coming up with these uh, facilities overnight. And that's what they did with the banking se sector. They gave them a, a facility where they could borrow for uh, a one-year period and they could put collateral up uh, as, as their bonds at par, not at market value, which has been an issue here. It was a, a major issue for Silicon Valley Bank. So I, I think that, you know, the Fed's not in a position to ensure uh, deposits. The FDIC does that, but even the FDIC can't just willy-nilly raise the amount of money that is insured. Congress has to be involved in that. Uh, but what the Fed did is it didn't insure, but it guaranteed that the banks would have plenty of liquidity in the event that they had a de deposit run. And of course, that very fact of doing that kind of calms everybody down and you get uh, less of a run. But look, you know, uh, Friday afternoons, uh, four o'clock later, I think we all are used to kind of decompressing and looking forward to the weekend. Now at four <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon, we've got to look at this uh, thing called H H8, uh, which is a release right. that the Fed puts out on the commercial banks. And the market actually is going to be very sensitive to what we see there. With the past couple of weeks, which includes the, the banking crisis, what we've seen is there has been deposit outflows, but uh, from one week to the next week, they seem to have slowed down. And meanwhile, most of the loan categories are still high up there, but um, none of that matters very much. What matters is what happens uh, up ahead here. And I, I think the banks, uh, they're, they're still in business, and I think they're still going to be making loans. And I think uh, you're right, there's going to be some issues in commercial real estate uh, lending, uh, either because the, the banks are getting concerned about making loans in that area because uh, the developers just don't want to pay the, the interest rates that uh, are, are being charged. So I, um, I, I think we are going to, uh, we are in a recession in the state, but I don't think, I know, I think it's going to be a rolling recession. I don't think it's going to have economy wide repercussions. Yeah. Well, I think the market's kind of telling you that, right? I mean, look, when we had a, when we had the banking crisis back during the great financial crisis, I mean, you had bourses off, 40 to 60%, depending on the indice, the fact that the market went up, uh, you know, like, like one, 1% or more over the course of last month says that in markets, you know, collective wisdom, of the market's pretty smart. Um, that's looking to the future. That says to me that this just isn't the same kind of situation we had uh, just over a decade ago. Well, well, my new amazing insight into the market, which I gleaned by watching the market, <laughs> is that uh, every day that nothing blows up in the banking sector is, is a good day. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, no news is good news. Because uh, back in the great financial crisis, we'd wake up every day and there'd be something new blowing up. Uh, that hasn't happened so far. I'm not giving anybody a guarantee that it won't happen. And 
you know, will force us all to kind of rethink how things are evolving. Uh, but uh, the, we've seen that the Fed, in terms of providing liquidity, does have a tremendous amount of power. We've seen that the Fed, in its ability to shore up confidence, has a lot of power. It's got a lot of critics, that's for sure. But uh, all, all in all, uh, we're, we're still uh, walking and talking. Well, you know, and on that same uh, on that same note, Ed, I, I'd say, you know, every time Jerome Powell gets on and talks, we all cringe. Um, but, you know, it's our contention that at some point uh, he'll probably ease up on raising rates and at some point maybe maybe lower rates. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the um, the yield curve, uh, which is the relationship of the 10 year to the two year, um, that uh, that relationship uh, has kind of sounded the alarm last uh, summer when uh, it inverted. Uh, so that the uh, two-year was higher than the 10-year. And, and that's uh, been a pretty good predictor of recessions in the past. Uh, however, I think that uh, the process is a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, inverted yield curves, I think, show that investors uh, perceive that uh, if the Fed keeps raising short-term interest rates, something will break in the financial system. And uh, so uh, as it inverts, it's a signal that uh, investors are saying, you know what? I don't mind buying a 10-year at a lower yield than a two-year because, you know, go for it. Keep keep raising the two-year until you get a recession. Then watch how quickly the two-year will come down. Mm -hmm. And I'll be a bond that's actually got some capital gains instead of capital losses. So I, I think that's kind of, uh, I think what the yield curve predicts really is financial crises that lead to credit crunches, economy-wide credit crunches, or even good borrowers can't find uh, a lender. And uh, then that causes a recession. That, that's what's been missing so far. But uh, arguably, uh, the banking crisis we have right now is that something that broke. Uh, the question is, uh, how severe will it be? Will it cause an economy-wide credit crunch? I don't think so. And therefore, I don't think it's going to be an economy-wide recession. Well, I know you don't think that, Ed, because I know the other day you made a, a bold uh, projection and uh, maybe just suggested that the S&P could actually finish the year at 4,600. Yeah. Um, there's another strategist uh, at a big firm who's looking for 3,100. Um, I'm actually going to start a poll after our podcast today with our clients to see, you know, betting on you or betting on the other guy. So, you know, just yeah. so you're aware. <laughs> they pessimism sells, and uh, it's it's easy to scare people, um, especially because uh, we do have recollections of uh, historical recollections of what happened during the Great Crash in in, in 2930. Uh, we have uh, kind of uh, real-time experience. We lived through the, the great financial crisis, and then we lived through the great virus crisis. And uh, in all these cases, uh, panic set in. And it turned out that when panic was uh, at its height, that turned out to be the, the buying opportunity. So uh, I, um, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I mean, I don't like what uh, what the pessimists are doing. They're scaring the living daylights out of people. But on the other hand, that also creates opportunities yeah. in the market. Yeah, no, no, you're preaching to the choir. And, and Ed, why is that? I mean, it seems to me like, you know, you do a lot of media. Um, you know, I happen to do a lot of television as well. And it just seems like it always, the strategists always veer negative. Um, yeah. No matter what happens, you know, whether the Fed's going to back off on interest rates or the Fed's going to yeah. keep raising interest rates, either way, you can spin it as a negative. You know, meanwhile, statistically, the market goes up something like 70% of the time, if you look back in history. Why, why do you think that is, um, that we always have fear? Well, I, I think uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough to be a long-term investor because of uh, 
all that noise that you get on a, on a regular basis, uh, and maybe you sort of have to you know, tune it out. Uh, but that's just not going to happen. We have to stay informed. And uh, I mean, uh, one of these days we could have something that's uh, really, really terrible. But, uh, you know, I, I don't spend too much time about thinking about what could go wrong because there's so many smart people. Spending, <laughs> they can do it for you. <laughs> they can do it for you. all that out. And then, you know, when the banking crisis hit, they, they all jumped up and down for joy. See, we told you so. Uh, it's the end of the world. And it just doesn't feel like it uh, at, at this point. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I'm very concerned about geopolitics and uh the cold hot war between the United States and uh, and China. I'm, I'm very concerned about the proxy war between the United States and uh, and Russia. I mean, those are very significant uh, risks. Uh, but on the other hand, I've observed over the years that uh, geopolitical uh, risks and tensions and crises uh, also tend to be buying opportunities, unless they're World War III, which I don't think this is this is where we're, we're heading. So, uh, you know, that, that's one of the many uh, issues that uh, the pessimist lists as what, what could go wrong. Right now, they're really focusing on the banking crisis and how that could cause an economy-wide uh, credit crunch and, and recession. And that's where, you know, where the, the, the difference lies between uh, the few optimists that are out there talking about uh, a, a higher market this year and the pessimists who think we will retest the October 12th low and go below it. Uh, I think October 12th was the low for the uh, equity market. Uh, pessimism was as bad as it was uh, in the terrible days of yeah. the great financial crisis. Uh, and I really think that the bond yield, uh, as I said back in late October, uh, peaked on October on October 24th. Uh, you know, for for over a year now, we've been getting all upset about the interest rates going up. Well, they went up. And the world didn't come to an end. The U.S. didn't fall into a terrible recession. It's been a rolling recession, and it's been resilient. Labor market remains resilient, and uh, life goes on. Well, I liked your observation about the um, the labor market. You know, blaming it on our generation. Um, and I'm down in Naples, Ed, so I'm living it. I see what the retired baby boomers are doing. You know, they're they're overwhelming the restaurants. There's not enough people to, to work in the restaurants, they're overwhelming the healthcare system, not enough people work in the healthcare system. So I thought that was a really good observation. Yeah, the baby boomers uh, is a generation that uh, on average on a per household basis has more wealth than any generation in the past if, uh, as, as senior citizens. And uh, a lot of them uh, are still working, but uh, maybe partly because of the pandemic, a lot of them had a couple of months there in the lockdowns to think about the meaning of life and decided that it wasn't working anymore. And it was, uh, you know, shopping and, uh, and eating out at, at nice restaurants. And, and by the way, don't forget, in be, you know, be, between the early uh, bird specials to go to the doctor just to make sure that everything's uh, ticking right. Uh, so they are putting a tremendous amount of demand for uh, uh, cert certain services that are very labor intensive. And that's why the labor market uh, has been so so strong. And they also have a tremendous amount of wealth. In other words, they can retire. They don't have to keep working and they keep spending money. Uh, you know, I, 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 being a baby boomer myself, I, I do think, well, hmm, let's say I could spend this on myself now or I could leave it for the kids. Well, they never really cleaned up their room. They're kind of noisy. <laughs> well, let's see, what do I really want to do? 
I think you do a little bit of both. You know, and I was going to I was going to ask you about, you know, you said the baby boomers have tremendous wealth. I was going to ask you your advice about those baby boomers transferring some of that wealth to their children. But I, I sound like that's going to be a non-starter for you. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think that, as I said, I think they're going to do both. But they've accumulated a tremendous amount of, of wealth. A lot of people uh, own homes in the United States. They've got some mortgages, but they've got more home equity than ever before. Now, again, the pessimists are saying, don't count on that. We're going to have another crash in, in home prices. But there's a real shortage of, of inventory, uh, keeping price prices up. So I think uh, real estate mm -hmm. values are going to hold up, and uh, I think uh, there is going to be a tremendous amount of money uh, being transferred from the baby boomers uh, to, to their to their children. Uh, I think the children are kind of counting on that, and uh, that may be another uh, reason why the economy is strong. Is the younger folks maybe figure, yeah, I'm not going to have to save if if I'm uh, if if I, I didn't annoy my parents. And they leave me something. Well, I had uh, had dinner with a couple of boomers last night, uh, retired, and we had that conversation. He said everybody they're going to the dinner with saying the same thing. You know, it's like if we don't spend it, they will. Um, and uh, you know, we have this phenomenal wine collection. We might as well drink it. Look, I think as a as a baby boomer, I, I feel guilty. I feel guilty that our generation has basically stolen from the, from the kids. So we've done that by having this huge debt. You know, we. Yep. We should always mention debt because that's uh, you know another thing that pessimists love to talk about, and I think they're right. I think it's a it's a it's a terrible thing that we've done. But uh, the question is, why hasn't had any real world consequences in the here and now? Why why haven't we been made to pay for this sin for this excess? And the answer is, it's really a generational theft. Uh, we're leaving a lot of debt to the kids. On the other hand, uh, we're leaving a lot of assets to the kids. So maybe that's that uh, that way. <clears throat> getting over our guilt of what we've done on the debt side. We said, well, you know, all the more reason why we've got to take care of them on the, uh, the asset side. Um, I think Chris and I are going to quit working today. We're inspired. Thanks, Ed. Uh, Bob, <laughs> you know, Bob's going to leave us his whole estate. But, I, you know, a question on that, though. Um, you know, what, how does it end? The longer term, obviously, debt to GDP now is, it, the, the stat you always hear is as high as World War II. I mean, it, it's worse than Europe at this point. How do you see that getting rectified or not rectified? Yeah. You know, over the course of the next generation. Well, I've been doing this for over 40 years, and for for that entire time, but worries about the deficit and the debt uh, have uh, popped up on a regular basis. And it's uh, you know we're living beyond our means. Uh, I've got a whole shelf of books uh, back from the 80s uh, when there was uh, a lot of concerns about that. And then would you know it, uh, under Bill Clinton. Uh, uh, we we finally actually uh, ran a surplus for a short period of time there, but now uh, we've caution to the wind and uh, we're just uh, spending like drunken sailors in terms relative to to the revenue. So the deficit is a is is a problem. But as I said, uh, I'm I'm very empirically oriented. Uh, I, I I think it's always a mistake when you get kind of um, you know when you get your let your politics get in the way you're you're investing when you you know let your conservative or liberal senses get in the way of investing. Uh, investing is uh, all about, uh, and the stock market is all about earnings, and it's all about valuation of those earnings. And, um, you know, we've seen the economy and, and, and the stock market doing remarkably well, even as the uh, deficit and the debt continue to accumulate. So I don't really have an answer for how this all ends. It doesn't have to end badly because it hasn't ended badly yeah. Uh, yeah. so far. I mean, Right now, uh, you know, we've we've got this potential uh, utopia or dystopia 
uh, with artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, it could be like the, the Roman times where we've we've got uh, artificial intelligence uh, uh, robots uh, do, doing all that heavy lifting, and uh, we have a lot of spare time, and we all get a basic income. I mean, you know, it, it sounds crazy, but uh, on the other hand, you've got a lot of people now talking about we need to really control artificial intelligence because you're not going to believe all the good things and terrible things it can do. Well, that's what I think. Uh, I think that when Ryan was talking about all these pessimists, I think that's the one thing they miss is that when the economy does turn down or when things do get, you know, you get into some negative headwinds, they don't recognize that people that own businesses and, and big companies, they, they don't sit around and go, oh, everybody go home. Let's wait till things get better. You know, like anybody who's owned a business or works in a business, you work twice as hard um, and, you know, you make it happen. And, and for some reason, you know, no one's ever able to see that. Well, um, you know, there's there's another related uh, point here that I just want to interject. And that is, uh, you know, when we all studied uh, economics uh, and read the, the Samuelson textbook, uh, Economics 101, uh, the basic message was that uh, economics is all about the optimal allocation of scarce resources. I mean, that is such a depressing concept. I mean, that's what we do all the time, figure out how to optimally allocate scarce resources. And my response to that is, no, 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 no. E economics is about using technology to solve problems and to increase standard of living. So it yeah. creates more resources. And if there's a, a shortage of anything, we figure out yeah. with technology how to replace it with something better, better, cheaper. And so I think technology right now has a real serious issue to solve for us, and that's labor shortages. Uh, you know, uh, we had the baby boom uh, that uh, created a, a flood of workers back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, but now we're kind of seeing that the baby boomers are retiring, and I guess we didn't have enough kids. Uh, and as a result, uh, we're seeing labor shortages almost everywhere around the world, including China, by the way, uh, except for India and Africa. So there's still some some hope for, for young kids to uh, keep things going. But uh, this technology issue that needs to be the technology will solve is labor shortages, and then we'll do that with te with um, te technological innovations. I mean, artificial intelligence may be part of that story, but we know robotics and automation are already a big part of it. Yeah, no, it's a great point, um, and it's kind of like you look at it. People say, "Well, technology is going to replace people." to the point where we're not gonna have jobs. But I mean, if we have an unemployment rate that's as low as the 60s and technology has certainly advanced since the 1960s, uh, you know, clearly it doesn't displace workers at the end of the day. I like to your point, it enhances productivity, um, which is a huge point. I, mean, I also think that maybe we need a stronger immigration policy at some point because, and this is the thing that blows my mind, Ed, is like every strategist on Wall Street for the last year kept talking about how the labor market's gonna fall off a cliff. <laughs> And if you look at demographics, it's like virtually impossible. You know, with two million baby boomers or so retiring every year, it's like, how how can it fall off a cliff? It's a it's a huge shortage of like your point, labor of people in this country that can work. Yeah, and also uh, there there is an issue of uh, work ethic and uh, loyalty to, to companies. I mean, the labor market. I'm not saying it's, sub it's subjectively. I'm saying objectively that's the case, and um, we we have to learn to to deal with that. Uh, I'm a baby boomer, and I yeah, work with. Uh, Millennials, uh, as some of our vendors have one or two working for us, and um, you know we all have to figure out how to work together. And uh, I find that if uh, some of them like to work uh, late at night, uh, and uh, it's hard to get them in the morning, I work 
I work around that and figure out how to interact with them. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, learning by doing going on. Uh, and as uh, Bob said, I think you said that, Bob, about the uh, fact that the, the, uh, the, the whole labor market has uh, evolved in a, in a way that uh, really does, it's different. It's di it really is different this time. It is. And I think that, you know, like every generation, uh, we think ours is the greatest and the next generation's lazy and doesn't work, not as smart, doesn't want to work as hard. But, you know, we have a lot of, I mean, our, our firm is made up of millennials and, and they're, they're smart, they're hardworking. Totally. Um, and again, they, they got flexibility because they grew up with technology. So they're able to do things, you know, that maybe are non-traditional. But I think that, uh, I think the economists uh, discount that. The only problem is that, uh, Fertility rates alone. We're not uh, having kids. People are getting are living uh, longer, and uh, you know the uh, percent of uh, the labor force that's uh, 16 years or older. In other words, old enough to work. That's uh, singles is over 50 percent. Used to be like 30 percent a few decades ago. So we have a lot of singles uh, out out there, and uh, you know that again. Those are demographic factors that I try to factor in. When I look at the the economy and say, well, why is the labor market so strong? Uh, why is why, why are we seeing record spending at restaurants? Uh, why do we have a shortage of uh, hospital employees? And uh, a lot of this can be explained with demography. And again, you don't have to make a you know a, a pro or con argument here. You just you're just trying to figure out how the economy works and how do you invest in it. Well, speaking of artificial intelligence, Ed, are you still writing your newsletter, or is the are the, is the AI doing it for you now? We've been experimenting with it. It's uh, it's fascinating. Okay. Uh, we do contribute to uh, Twitter, and don't tell this to any of uh, my followers on Twitter. But uh, okay, <laughs> give uh, the you know Hal uh, nine thousand or whatever we want to call it, <laughs> or whatever we want to call it. Uh, we give it an assignment to uh, you know write uh, four tweets based on. Uh, on this, I've actually the thing that's really exciting is I have to figure out if if it uh, if it's accurate because there is the the question of accuracy with uh, with artificial intelligence so far. Uh, but uh, I, just for fun, I translated it. I had it translate uh, my morning briefing into Chinese, Japanese, uh, French, Spanish, and uh, we have one lady who speaks Spanish and says it, it sounds right. Uh, wow. You know, she, she, cool. so and so, so, you know, and it won't be long between we're all just carrying some sort of device. So you can go to any country in the world and just, uh, you, know, you know, press a button of what country you're in and what language you want to speak. And you just talk into the thing and it'll translate it and you'll have a conversation with, with other people. I mean, all the stuff that was sci-fi is, is here and now. Well, Dad, you can take uh, Saturday off now. You have chat GTP, right? Your, uh, your market commentary. <laughs> I'm off for that. It could be a situation where a lot of us uh, don't have to do the initial writing that uh, the artificial intelligence program does it, but we need to go over it and, and, and make sure that it's uh, it's logical because there's a lot of things that artificial intelligence just, just really can't do and probably won't, won't be able to do. You know, Ed, unlike politics, what we say matters and, and we have to make sure it's accurate. <laughs> so we just can't spew some information and uh, hope it's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in terms of in, in terms of financial markets, I know you're you're, you're you know you're bullish uh, as we are. Um, what do you think is going to happen with the bond market here? We've been you know we like you said you you believe that the ten uh, year Treasury probably peaked at four thirty last October. You know as, as we speak here, guys, we're closing in at three thirty on the ten yeah. uh, year Treasury today. 
Uh, yeah. How much lower do you think that can go, Ed? Well, it has been quite incredible. And, uh, you know, uh, shoulda, coulda, we all should have bought it uh, four and a quarter percent. Uh, remember, the panic level at that level was, was intense, which, again, gets into the whole concept of long-term investing is, you know, you, you want to kind of st stay with it. The problem is, that's not really good advice when it comes to the bond market, because uh, a lot of people bought bonds uh, at near zero interest rates. Uh, including bank, banks, by the way. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, as we're learning, yeah. some really big losses, and they were able to continue to uh, operate because those losses didn't count because they're going to hold them to maturity. Uh, it did count with Silicon Valley Bank because suddenly they they had to sell some of those bonds and they had to sell them at a loss, and that kind of got the whole thing unnerved in terms of well, what are these losses all about? So uh, I, I I don't mean to to say that. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's the old thing, you know, buy, buy low, sell high. So, I mean, that's still useful advice as well when we're thinking about uh, long-term investing and around the trend. But um, I, I think the, uh, the, the, um, the, I think, I mean, I've been in the camp that uh, argue that uh, a lot of the inflation has been pandemic related. So some of it, uh, quite a bit of it was transitory, particularly in goods. Uh, now we're seeing in services we have an inflation problem. A lot of that is rents. There are a lot of landlords that couldn't collect rent or get it, get an increase in rent during the uh, pandemic, and uh, so they uh, had some catching up to do. I think we're going to see. We're already seeing in some of the kind of real time indicators of rent inflation is is in fact uh, moderating. So uh, it all depends on where inflation is going, and I think inflation peaked last summer. I think uh, this year it's going to be three to four percent using the consumption deflator, which is a more accurate measure than the CPI. Uh, and I think uh, next year we could be down to uh, two to three uh, percent. And then 2025, we could be back down maybe to two, two and a half percent. So I think the Fed is restrictive enough. I don't think they have to raise interest rates anymore. And I think the banking crisis demonstrates that, proves that. There's going to be an effect here on uh, credit availability, which will slow the economy down. There will be uh, the growing recession will now roll into the commercial real estate uh, area. But uh, all in all, uh, it, it should be a soft landing. But then productivity could really kick in. As, as you said, uh, I, you know, companies don't uh, spend their entire day figuring out, okay, in the morning you figure out what costs went up the day before. And by the afternoon, you figured out how to pass those costs through. That's not, it's not doing business. That's uh, you know, just ma managing a uh, wage price spiral. I think a lot of companies are going to come to recognize as they have already that there's a labor shortage and that they've got to increase productivity. So, uh, yeah, some good segue for the roaring 2020s idea that uh, you know, as, as bad as things have felt the past uh, couple of years. Uh, this may end up as the roaring 2020s, just the way the 1920s started out really depressing, and uh, we had a great decade back then. And, uh, admittedly, it ended bad, badly, but uh, there were policies <laughs> policy yeah. with, with the Smoot-Hawley tariff, but that's a whole other subject. Yeah, I would say that was just a speed bump, Ed, in the, in the term of long-term investing, that's all. Um, yeah. You know, I know you, you're you a very prolific writer, um, so for our our podcast listeners what which one of your books would you recommend it's a, your latest one would be the best for them to read to get an idea of um, what's going on now if they're very liberal i would like them to read my book on 
profits. It's called In Praise of Profits. I wrote it for, for liberals just to sort of uh, provide, I think, a fairly data supportive uh, view on why profits matter a lot and why profits create prosperity. But at the same time, I acknowledge the fact that uh, free market capitalism, if it's so great, uh, why aren't we all buying into it? I think it's because of crony capitalism. So I, I, I try to be somewhat even-handed, but it is definitely a call for supporting entrepreneurial capitalism, not crony capitalism, but entrepreneurial capitalism, where we actually care about our customers and we try to do the best we can for our customers yeah. every day. You want to call that selfishness? I don't call it selfishness. It's like I call it insecurity. If I don't uh, please my customers, I'll be out of business. So I, I have to think about what they need and that's kind of the point of the book. Uh, a lot of people who are relatively uh, young and getting into this business, uh, there's so much that happened just in the past 40 years that are relevant today. Uh, so predicting the markets, uh, which is the subtitle of professional autobiography, uh, I think is worth your while because uh, it, it is a professional autobiography. I went back and said, okay, what, what happened during my career so far, the first 40 years? I'm working on the next 40 years. But uh, what, what happened during the past 40 years? How did markets uh, respond to all these things? What did I learn? What did I get wrong? And I think you'll find that uh, useful. And then I wrote a couple of books uh, on Fed watching, which uh, I think is also useful because uh, the Fed is in our face all the time. I call it the Federal Open Mouth Committee. <laughs> constantly yapping away and uh, we have no choice but to cover them. And I, I don't like to criticize them because uh, they're sort of my bread and butter. I mean. You know, they always give us something to, to to comment on and to apply. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it just seems like it's getting worse and worse with all the Fed officials every week talking. Um, well, Ed, to wrap things up, and I, and I love the optimistic tone. It, it fits right in with our beliefs. So we're gonna change. We're gonna switch gears on you. This is a question we ask all our guests. If you could pick one album during your life that you heard that changed your view of the world, what is it and why? Oh, and it's just one one song. Uh, we didn't start the fire. Uh, Billy Joel. Billy Joel. All right. That's that's definitely a a fun song, and uh, you know, make makes the point that uh, a lot of good things and bad things happened uh, during the, uh, the the prime uh, of the of the baby boomers. And so, some of it we caused, and some of it we didn't cause. And uh, you know, we we all live in historical times. Uh, eventually, somebody writes a history about what it was like to live in our times. And I think everybody actually should write it, write a book because uh, it, it'll give you some perspective on how everything sort of affected you and what, what made you the, the, the way you are. But uh, so that, that would be my song. I, 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 I was a little surprised to hear, to see you ask, ask me about songs because I usually do yes. mornings and just finish saying um, the Godfather, which uh, is really excellent fascinating insight into the 1960s in America. I enjoyed your review of Cocaine Bear as well. A lot of insight there. <laughs> what were you thinking of? Why would you possibly go see that movie? <laughs> it just looks so <laughs> funny, right? <laughs> it would be really funny, but uh, it was, but it was quite, it was awfully grisly too. So, you know, grizzly bear. <laughs> I wanted to see you relate that one to the economy. And then you really- Do anything within, within reason. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Dr. Ed. That was a phenomenal conversation, just great insights and, and really fits in with our philosophy. Uh, it, it's better to be an optimist than a pessimist as when it comes to investing. Not a lot of rich pessimists when it comes to being an investor long-term. 
Yeah, well, a, a lot of a lot of uh, too much too much pessimism. I, I agree with that. But you know, we want to be balanced. We want to know what the pessimists are saying and then make sure that we do. And actually, that's a good way to start to say, okay, what could what could go right instead of what could go wrong? Because everybody knows what could go wrong. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 117, Pain Points of Wealth. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially literally at any stage of your journey. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you if you're planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. But if you want a more hands-on approach, you want to get a full review of what you're doing with your financial independence plan, if you saved over a million dollars, Chris, Bob, and I will run for your total financial master plan, and we'll do that at no cost. There's no other firm out there that will do this work up front. We literally build you your own personalized financial portal. We'll hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's an income plan for retirement, how to take Social Security, how to draw from your portfolio, factor in inflation. We're going to do a deep dive of all your investments. We'll go through those annuities, insurance products, mutual funds, brokerage products, show you where all the hidden costs are, show you how to reduce costs on your portfolio and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make, it's what you take. We're going to give you our full tax playbook and we'll look at diversification. We'll look at how much risk you're taking. Did you get hit hard in the last year as markets have been all over the place or have you been seen with way too much money in cash? Paralysis by analysis, trying to figure out what to do with your money. Well, we're going to put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it. Over the rest of your life, simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, after $6.3 trillion spent on renewable energy and another $3.3 trillion spent on electricity networks since 2005, global energy use is still 80% reliant on fossil fuels. From a low of 70% in Europe to 86% in emerging markets, ex-China, the global measure has declined by just 5% since 2005, even with all that investment. Well, first of all, Rye, uh, electric vehicles are very expensive. And, you know, we're from Philadelphia, um, and they have a lot of row homes in Philadelphia, North Philly, South Philly, Southwest Philadelphia, and every other city in the country is the same way. So if everybody's going to have an electric vehicle. How are you going to recharge them? Well, they do have charging stations. I guess that'll be like the future at some point. Where are you going to put it in the middle? Are you going to put it in the middle of the street? I mean, you know... If, When's the last time you've been to uh, West Philadelphia? There are no garages. Where, where do you put the charging station? Well, you know, a very popular sure. pastime here in Philadelphia is uh, stealing electricity off the poles. So, you know, maybe something like that. All right. Yeah. Or do what I did in college where we just ran all of our electrical devices through the basement. So, you know, just a thought there. My understanding uh, is Pico still have Hitman after Ryan. It's like Dr. Yardeni said, right? right? Innovation, right? Technology, innovation, that's going to be the answer. Somewhere down the line, they'll figure it out. Yeah, no, 100%. But I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I wouldn't give up on gas vehicles in the very near future. All right, Bob, we heard it here first. Yes. Chris, assets continue to flow into institutional government money funds, about $200 billion over the course of the last couple of weeks. The asset class is at an all-time record high at over $5.5 trillion. Angst around inflation, recession, and rate hikes has proven too much to the bear. So people have retreated from stocks to cash. That's a lot of money sitting in cash right now. Well, you know what? This is an age-old problem. 
you know, we're getting great yields on money markets right now, but it's so short-sighted because what happens if interest rates start to come down? And now you've got all this money sitting in cash at low rates, and chances are the market will probably have taken off at that point, so you missed out on the opportunity. Well, it's literally like a big powder keg, too, because God forbid, just like talking to Dr. Ed today, uh, we have some more optimism with earnings, the economy. That's a lot of money that can flow back into the market, and you want to be there before all that cash gets back in, just saying. Yeah, you know, the only people that are really going to benefit from this are the banks, you know, because they're they're charging fees on these money markets and they're making big profits. The only person that loses is the investor. Yeah, my, my client called his bank the other day and said, uh, you know, my buddy Bob's giving me 5% on cash. You're giving me two. It's like, you know, you're charging me hedge fund fees to manage my cash without hedge fund returns. I, could you explain this, please? Yeah, well, maybe the banks will stay in business. <laughs> hey, they figured out how to make a profit in 0% interest rates. I'm not worried about the banks, guys. Yeah, I think the banks are very here to stay. Just a wild guess. Yes. Well, another, another great show. I uh, hope you enjoyed episode 117, Pain Points of Wealth. If you like, love our podcast, give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Leave us some comments. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, you can like this episode. You can subscribe to our channel, click that notification bell to be updated every week of all our new content. If it's on Spotify, you can also subscribe to our channel. Your support gives us the ability to continue to do this podcast. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Ryan, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. 